K-A-L-W. This is TBH. I'm Hannah Nee, a recent graduate of Presentation High School in San Jose and a freshman at the University of Chicago. And I'm Cho Song Tenzin, a senior at Oakland Tech. This podcast is made by, about, and for teenagers. And for anybody else who wants to hear what's on our minds. Every week, we'll bring you a different story produced by a high school student or a recent graduate. You'll hear commentaries from students and roundtable discussions about the issues that matter to us. This is the second season of TBH, and this time around, we're thinking about the November election and the biggest issues we need to consider as a nation. Today's show is about power, education, and sexual assault, and we're bringing this up at a pivotal moment in history, a time that encompasses the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and the Me Too movement, when many victims are finally brave enough to speak up and people are ready to hear their stories. But too often, people still side with powerful men instead. And this is the marking of a cultural and societal problem, where people aren't properly taught or influenced to know how to treat each other and respect each other's boundaries. This begins when we're young. In elementary school, I was teased by a boy at my school and my sister told me, he probably likes you. This sends a message that aggression from boys translates to affection. And it's a message perpetrated in movies and other types of media. Exactly. In my psychology class, we learned about Sternberg's triangular theory of love, which talks about the three pillars of a long-lasting, healthy relationship. I've noticed that while the media typically focuses on passion and intimacy, no one ever talks about commitment and why that's important. People post pictures of receiving roses from their partner, but won't highlight them washing the dishes or vacuuming the floor. We talked about gender dynamics with a group of students we worked with this summer on TBH. And we kicked off the virtual conversation by discussing the ways social media affects how teenagers view unhealthy and healthy relationships. Hi, I'm Ava Richards. I live in Belmont, California, and I'm going to be a senior at Carlmont High School. Hi, I'm Maddie Johnson. I live in San Francisco, and I'm going to be an incoming freshman at UC Berkeley. Hi, I'm Zara Ahmed, and I'm from Fremont, California, and I'm going to be an incoming freshman at Ohlone Community College. Hi, my name is Avery Dower. I am almost 16 years old, and I am a sophomore at Ruth Asawa School of the Arts. And so on social media, I feel like we just see the best side of everyone's relationship. We don't see what goes on behind closed doors. We see what people want us to see. And then on the media side, They glamorize relationships that are very harmful. And I was just watching The Kissing Booth last weekend because um, Kissing Booth 2 just came out and I'm a sucker for those. My brother calls them, he he just called it a cringe binge and I have to agree, but like I love sappy movies like that. But in the first movie, there's something really, really wrong. This guy named Tuppen goes up and grabs um, Elle, the main character's butt, under her skirt. And she just brushes him off. Like, it was literally sexual assault. And she just brushes him off, and he tries to get her number later, and she acts like everything is cool. That's not real life. If that happened in real life, I think somebody would call the police, like, sticking a hand up some girl's skirt. And I I don't understand why movies and TV shows have to make events like that seem normal and um, portray... Uh, women and girls as being okay with those sort of those actions in those relationships it's so gross 
You know, like the movie slash book after. Oh my god! So I I never like read the the book or the Wattpad story, whatever it is. But I watched the movie because I was curious because I followed this Instagram account who posted like excerpts of the I think it's like a trilogy or something like on their Instagram story, and they would highlight like the really abusive parts, and they'd be like, I know this is abusive, but like. I really like this relationship, and I'm like, how does that make any sense? They love to take everything like to fit their own sort of like narrative of what a perfect couple looks like, and it's just so harmful. And people I know who've been in like abusive relationships, it just it's just the worst sitting thing to see like on the media, like people saying that this is like romantic or like sexy, but like it's so horrible and can cause so much trauma. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like, I feel like. Nowadays, people flex that like, oh, I'm so toxic or like things like that, and I'm like, that's not a flex. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like a thing. I feel like that's way more romanticized, like in movies and TV shows, and so that just creates this new expectation of like, I want a relationship that's interesting, and an interesting relationship is something that's unhealthy. <laughs> I find it interesting that it's. Still, something that's going on, like so present in the media, and I feel like I remember, like when I watched Greece, and I was like, "This is such an awful thing that like Sandy like has to change herself and like become this like better person." And like, no, like th- that's so wrong. And I think people were like, "Oh, like Danny and say like they're such a cute couple." Like so many people idolized them. Like in my mom's time, like that was such a thing. Like she didn't even know that they were a toxic couple until later on being like oh like this is wrong like you should never have to change yourself for someone and it's crazy that like what we're all the way in the year 2020 and it's still something you see in the media like there's so many examples of movies and tv couples where it's like everything is like like there's not a lot that's going right and I feel part of it might even be like in the writing situation where they feel like oh the only way to create drama or to make it exciting is if we have this in it and I think that's that's really wrong and it shouldn't be the example people should see on tv or media or where they're reading it's I I know I really just wish there were like better examples of good and healthy couples out there for people to watch and be like okay this is what a healthy relationship looks like yeah i i i've been saying the thing about greece for years because i had this conversation with my mom because she loves that movie and like it's a good movie you know it's a it's a classic musical but the 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 representation of relationships isn't good at all and like I, I talk about this with with some of my theater friends because they're always like, "Oh, I love Greece," and then I pointed out, and you know, we have a, like a enlightening conversation about it. And yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that we're having a really important conversation here about recognizing that what we see on television and what we read isn't always the truth, and it isn't always what's best for us. And I think it's really awesome that we can sit here and discuss that what we see is not right or not okay and I wish that could be the same for everyone and I think that for a lot of people that just comes from education and experience and I think it could be really great if everyone could sit down and say okay like maybe I like this show but it's also really problematic and here's why and here's why I don't support some of the choices that the creators or the writers are making. 
Those were the voices of Zara Ahmad, Maddie Johnson, Avery Dower, and Ava Richards. You'll hear stories from all of them over the next few weeks. First, we're going to turn to a story from Zara. She learned most of what she knows about unhealthy relationships and domestic violence after joining a youth group in Fremont. And she wondered, why isn't everyone learning about this? I remember feeling so disappointed when former Stanford student Brock Turner was sentenced to just six months in jail for sexual assault. He ended up spending three months in jail for good behavior. This was in 2016. I was in middle school at the time and I followed the coverage for the trial intensely. The survivor in the case, Chanel Miller, wrote an impact statement describing the trauma of the assault. My damage was internal, unseen. I carry it with me. It was published in BuzzFeed and read by millions of people. I read about the pain that she had gone through and how unsafe she felt being alone. You took away my worth, my privacy, my energy, my time, my safety, my intimacy, my confidence, my own voice, until today. What I remember specifically, though, is how angry and upset I was about Turner's sentence. It felt like he was getting a slap on the wrist. I hated how he was being portrayed as this all-star swimmer from Stanford, as if that made him innocent and not worthy of any punishment. Three years later, I watched the hearing on my phone during class before Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed to the Supreme Court. This was in spite of three allegations of sexual assault that he had committed in high school and in college. With what degree of certainty do you believe Brett Kavanaugh assaulted you? 100%. And I watched as Christine Blasey Ford testified. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. Even though the Me Too movement inspired so many people to speak out, people are still acting like this behavior is socially acceptable. Our two options for president are now two men accused of sexual assault, and it feels like people aren't taking this into consideration as much as they should. Why are people allowing this, and why aren't they calling this out more? What I've come to realize is that this goes back to how we're taught about relationships and signs of abuse in schools. I talked to a few of my friends about this, and many of them can barely remember learning about consent, like my friend Andrea Carpano. I think, you know what, I was like, I was trying to go through my head and try to remember like my freshman year of high school, just trying to remember it. And I don't, frankly, like, I don't even remember learning about consent. Andrea is 19 and the kind of person anyone can talk to. We both recently graduated from Kennedy High School in Fremont. She didn't learn about personal boundaries or consent until she was in a relationship. Like, I remember learning about sex a lot and drugs, all that health-related topics. Consent was, like, kind of in the conversation. Not even an hour, maybe, like, five minutes. It was like, guys, and this is for guys only. I'm like, wait, wait. It was like, hey, you have to ask the girl, like, do you want to do this with me? Andrea wishes schools spent more time explaining what consent means and why it matters. Her best friend really doesn't like hugs, but other students and even teachers don't respect that. They come up to hug her anyway. 
you know, my friend, she really had to like speak out against that fact, like, hey, like, don't touch me. And it's like, for her, it was like, no, 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 like, it's not okay because I don't like hugs at all. I don't want physical touch. Teachers and parents and students, like, could definitely benefit from getting that, like, at least one more talk about consent. Um, just, like, get it through their heads, you know? You have human inter interaction on a daily basis, you know? And, like, hey, like, can I shake your hand, like, when I meet you? Or can I hug you, you know? Like that, can I fist pound you? I don't remember much from what I learned about healthy relationships in school either. I can vaguely recall an instructor giving us a magazine about Twilight. The magazine explained how Bella and Edward were an example of a toxic relationship. I like watching you sleep. It's, um, it's kind of fascinating to me. And what I remember most is a video called Consent Tea. If you're still struggling with consent, just imagine instead of initiating sex, you're making them a cup of tea. It's a three-minute long animation, and it uses the scenario of making someone a cup of tea as a comparison to consent. But if you can understand how completely ludicrous it is to force people to have tea when they don't want tea, and you're able to understand when people don't want tea, then how hard is it to understand it when it comes to sex? Whether it's tea or sex, consent is everything. It's funny, but teenagers need more in-depth lessons that they can grasp onto. I began to understand just how important this is my junior year. That's when I started volunteering at SAVE, a domestic violence agency in Fremont. SAVE stands for Safe Alternatives to Violent Environments. They run a safe house, a hotline, and offer crisis support and more. And they go to middle schools and high schools in the Bay Area to teach young people about healthy relationships. Save's lessons on healthy relationships are much, much different than the awkward lessons I barely remember where we were told to read about Twilight. The reason that emotional abuse is the most common form is because it's really hard to detect. A lot of people think that if there isn't physical abuse happening, then there is no harm happening at all. In this lesson, Maya Granera, a prevention advocate with SAVE, debunks some of the myths people have surrounding teen dating violence. When I first learned about this, it opened my eyes to how frequent this type of abuse is in relationships, especially when it comes to teenagers. Right, but we know that that isn't true. We know that there's a lot of different ways that someone can be harmful to a partner. And it's really hard for people to pick up on emotional abuse unless they are very in tune with um, who this couple is. One in three adolescents in the U.S. is a victim of physical, sexual, emotional, or verbal abuse from a dating partner. If you're in a class of 30 people, that's 10 of your classmates who could potentially experience this. And only 33% of teens who are in an abusive relationship ever told anyone about the abuse. When people don't know what an unhealthy relationship looks like, they don't question harmful behavior. It feels normal to them. Ruby Gutierrez is the Youth Services Coordinator with SAVE. She wishes she was taught what abuse looks like when she was in school. A lot of the time I hear it from older survivors that they wish they had gotten this information when they were younger. I just kind of figured it out through this process that I am a survivor too. The minute I figured out that I was in an unhealthy relationship because I was getting this education, I just kind of figured out like, 
Okay, this applies to me too. She says one of the big reasons she's even able to go to schools and teach this is because it's required by state law. The Healthy Youth Act passed in California in 2016. It requires schools to teach about sexual assault, sexual harassment, and healthy relationships. But as schools began to bring in this kind of education, parents protested in places like San Diego, Palo Alto, and Fremont. Too much too early. Too much too early. Parents made their voices heard before the meeting began. Let kids be kids! They're against a new sex ed curriculum that would be taught in Fremont schools. It would include discussion of sexual orientation and HIV in fifth grade. Gutierrez says, even now, educators are still anxious about how parents will react to her presentations on healthy relationships. Because they're afraid of the way that parents are going to react to this type of content Uh being talked to to their students. Because there's also that taboo that if we talk about it, it makes it real. Like, if we don't talk about it, then students are not going to be exemplifying these characteristics where they're going to know how to have consent or just not have sex at all. But the reality is that they're doing it. And we're seeing so many reports out there of sexual assault happening on school campuses. Only 10 states even require discussions around consent in schools. When people recognize manipulative and controlling behavior in relationships, they know how to call it out. My friend Ashka Javeri volunteers at SAVE, and she's on the youth advocacy group Team Stronger Than You Think. She says talking about relationships with her parents and teachers can feel weird. But through SAVE, she realized when her friend was in a toxic relationship, and she was able to help her. Um, because my friend she was um, like being controlled by this person and was like being told um, what to do, what to wear, where to go. I tried talking to her at first and she didn't really like see what I was seeing. And so um, after a while, I like, like tried to like explain to her even more, like showed her examples and stuff. And she finally like understood and she like drifted away from that person and now she's not in a relationship with that person at all anymore. People often end up in unhealthy relationships in high school because they don't know how to be in relationships, or they don't know or understand how much damage they're causing. And when teenagers know they need support, it can be hard to know how or where to find help. And it gets bigger than that. The lack of awareness carries over to the most powerful office in the United States, and it affects what behaviors we accept and tolerate. Take our two presidential candidates. Donald Trump has been accused of sexual assault by over 20 women. Joe Biden has also been accused of inappropriate touching and sexual assault. But talking about this is complicated because both men also have key differences in the policies they've championed. Biden introduced the Violence Against Women Act in the 90s. The bill is designed to protect victims of domestic crimes and help fund shelters for survivors. It also established the first national domestic violence hotline. But under President Trump, Betsy DeVos implemented changes to Title IX to give more rights for people accused of sexual harassment and assault. And people like Ruby Gutierrez say those changes will make it harder for survivors to report sexual assault. With that, I just wish that as a society we knew that so that we 
are more sensitive and more supportive to people who have already experienced it. Because if you can have that level of empathy, then you can at least start to have the conversation about, okay, this really sucks, so how can we make sure that doesn't happen again? But there are ways young people can change the systems that have allowed so many people to get away with abuse. We can elect people who advocate for survivors, and we can support efforts to fund prevention programs. If people can't clearly see harmful behaviors when they're young, they won't see them when they're adults. Part of teaching kids how to become successful adults is making sure they can communicate with other people so they don't cross any boundaries and can have positive, healthy relationships. That's Zara Ahmed. She's a freshman at Ohlone Community College in Fremont, and she plans to continue to volunteer with SAVE and learn more about healthy relationships. Unlike the students in this story, I have received an in-depth education on healthy relationships at my high school. It's an all-girls school, and they devoted one entire school day towards educating us about signs of abuse and how to act. Now, I can honestly say that I feel prepared when encountering unhealthy relationships, not just with myself, but with the people I care about. Like Zara's friends, the topic of healthy relationships taught in schools isn't something I remember at all. Rather than learning about these important topics from educators in school, I have learned more from my peers. Advocating for healthy relationships and condemning sexual assault is something students at my school, and recently many schools in the Bay Area, have taken into our own hands. Students have created Instagram accounts where survivors can anonymously submit their stories and created petitions to get rid of predators in our schools. We're going to wrap up this show with a commentary from a high school student from San Francisco. This story is not about sexual harassment or assault, but it is about bullying, trauma, and not knowing how or where to reach out for help. My name is Samantha Kwong. I'm a junior at Abraham Lincoln High School. Uh, my social justice topic is racism against specifically Chinese people. I was a police witness to a racist attack against someone on the bus. As she was getting off the bus, she said, excuse me, and then this group of teens like were mocking her accent and they pushed her off the bus and then she pushed back and, and then they started hitting her. Yeah, and then I guess personally towards me, there was this one incident where another group of teens like punched me for no reason. So I didn't really react because I didn't want to start anything. I was just one, per I was just one person. I've seen a lot of attacks against Asian people on the bus, so I just assume this is another one of those things. Ideally, I guess maybe the cameras on the bus could be better, so like people don't have to intervene and stop this because they might get hurt. I don't know. I am sad and angry when I reflect because I 
feel like I can't do much about it. It's just like I have to take it. Yes. I just want them to know like their actions will have consequences because it's not like a small thing. Eventually it will escalate and get worse. Hearing Samantha's story is heartbreaking. And as an Asian American woman myself, I'm frustrated that people of my demographic still have to deal with racist attacks while feeling powerless to defend themselves and change things. And while we may not have the arm strength or the driver's license, there is a way we can protect ourselves. Voting. We don't have to accept the status quo. If we disagree with how sexual harassment or racism is handled by our legal institutions and our schools, we can vote for politicians who fight for victims and propositions that support them. And if enough people show up to the polls, we won't have to settle for anything less than what we deserve, but instead live in a society where everyone feels safe and supported. This has been TBH, a podcast from KLW Public Radio. Our editors and instructors are Holly J. McDeed and Sarah Lee Sterling. Our engineers are Christopher Agusa, Julia Linus Goodman, Kristen McCandless, James Rowlands, and Gabe Graben. Music was composed by Dawood Anthony. We used additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Our artwork was created by Awan Mance. Shireen Adil is the content manager. Ben Trefney is the executive director. This project was made possible with support from the Association for Continuing Education, the California Arts Council, and California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Visit calhum.org. In the next episode of TBH, we'll take on misogyny and racism in video games. Most games don't show a black female character at all, let alone in the lead. And if we are in a game, we're usually killed or we're the joke or we're the sassy friend or, you know, we're the magical Negro that sacrifices ourselves. If you appreciate this podcast, please take a minute to rate us on your podcast provider and leave a review. It means a lot to us and it helps others hear our work too. I'm Hannah Nee. And I'm Cho Song Tenzin. Thanks for listening.